Fran, and this is Consent Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Hello and welcome. This is uh, episode one of the podcast, and um, today I'm chatting with Erica Scott, uh, who wrote the wonderful book, Creating Consent Culture. Uh, Hello, Erica. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited about this. I loved um, Erica's book, and I'm actually going to let you uh, introduce yourself. Oh, thanks. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say I co-wrote the book with Marsha Baczynski, um, who's also wonderful. And actually, um, you know, I've learned everything I know from her, so (laughs) I definitely want to give her credit. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, and that led to me having a lot of issues with my boundaries, which has been, um, you know, some a challenge in my life. And then uh, something that I've worked through in a lot of different ways. But when I was having a health crisis in my 40s, I learned about something called Cuddle Party, which Marsha Patinsky um, began. She started that. And the thing about Cuddle Party is it's really kind of just a fun way to learn consent skills. Um, the first hour of, con- of Cuddle Party is a welcome circle where you go over the rules and, uh, and in, you do fun exercises to learn those rules. Um, and it's things like, you know, saying no when you're a no, um, saying no when you're a maybe. Um, and I found these so helpful for me. And I was like, you know, everyone needs to learn these skills um but not everyone is going to go going to go to a cuddle party so uh i went to marcia and asked her if after i became a certified cuddle party facilitator i went to her and asked her if i could you know play with the welcome circle use parts of it add some other things and make a workshop that is accessible to anyone and everyone um, without the intimidating idea that there might be cuddling or touching at all, and um, but still learn those important skills. Because for me, um, you know, not only was it so helpful for me, but I really enjoyed when I led cuddle parties, like seeing people have these epiphanies when they would practice, do these exercises and learn these skills. And so Marcia said, sure, go for it. And I did that. I I was living in Honolulu at the time and I workshopped it there and I started leading it and I was getting really great feedback. And then um, in 2019, I went on my first ever girls trip to Sedona. And while I was there, it was just, you know, I woke up one morning. It was like, make it a book. It has to be a book. And um, so uh, I asked Marsha if she would join me and be that we could write it together. And she said, yes. Um, and, but she was very busy and lots going on in her life. Um, so in a way it was a blessing for us with the pandemic because it actually slowed her down enough that we were able to write the book and, and then, yeah, here it is. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the book is wonderful. I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in consent that for you, consent is, it's not just like a transactional thing and it's not a one way stream right so you see it more as an agreement in fact before I I read that bit would you like to talk about Um, that 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important. It's kind of like moving it to the next level of how we look at it. So it's very a very simple way of looking at it that one person asks and the other one says yes or no. Um, and sometimes it's that simple. You're asking for a cookie and the other person saying, yes, you can have one or no, you can't. But very often it's much more complicated than that. Than that. And what we're doing actually is um, going back and forth and figuring out what works for you, what works for me, what works for whoever's involved and how do we work through that and figure out the best possible interaction for everyone involved. Um, and sometimes uh, that, and then there are factors that make that very complex because some people are better at asking for what they want. Some people are better at knowing what they want or noticing what they want. And, and some people are better at saying yes or no. Um, for all of, for a variety of reasons um so but yeah to look at it as because if if only one person's asking ever asking and the only the one person saying yes or no that's not that's not a healthy relationship um for it to be uh for there to be some equality in the relationship there has to be um an ability for everyone to be able to ask for what they want and to be able to say yes or no yeah, and like something really important that you mentioned in the book is that is that idea of equality or equity in the sense that like power dynamics in the relationship need to be looked at. Because often, and, and I come across this a lot between, you know, parent and child or adult and child in general, there's an imbalance of power, like inevitably. Absolutely. And so it, consent isn't just going to be me saying, will you do your math worksheet and my child saying sure because <laughs> there's that dynamic of power right that needs to be looked at yes that's why creating a culture of consent is like so huge right absolutely so yeah I mean when it when it gets down to it it's really is about you know respect for the indiv individual and um and so then you run into like it then it involves everything because yeah there's always power differentials um and um systemic inequity is a huge part of it um you know if you've grown up feeling like when you say no it's not heard or it causes problems then it's always going to be harder for you to say no or if your no is heard differently like i might say no to something and be told eh, yeah you're doing great. Like you're standing up for yourself and a black woman might say no to the same thing and be told she's uppity or like ungrateful or something. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's like systemic inequity is a huge part of it. Um, and of course, between the genders, that is generally an issue. Um, if you not without even looking at how there's, um, gendered socialization, that's very different. Um, the power differentials, often going to be in mm -hmm. yeah and we're so we're socialized many of us are socialized uh to like please right or not say no especially those of us who were raised as girls yeah. uh, were socialized to essentially you know go along with mm -hmm. things be easygoing like not make a fuss and That's so true. saying no is like can be yeah. hard Oh, yes, very much, very much so. And um, and then on the other side of it, um, for people who have been socialized as male, um, there's often 
the messaging is like, be aggressive, keep asking, get a yes, that's success. It's not, success is not building an intimate relationship based on respect and trust. Success is getting what you want. And um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's both sides of it are very uh, unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and and, I'm kind of and it's not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. And then also, I mean, and it is, the socialization is very gendered and it is a big problem, but I'd like to just say that it is also just a human problem. Like a lot of humans have trouble saying no. A lot of humans have trouble asking for what they want. That's been my experience. And it, and it can, uh, and we can all get better at hearing no, which is a big part of it. Why do you think that's a human, like human problem? Why do you think humans have a hard time? Well, we, you know, generally we're wanting to get along with others. We don't want to let people down. We don't want to cause conflict. We don't want to um, disappoint others. You know, we want to be approved of. Um, that's why we have a hard time saying no. Uh, I think we have a hard time hearing no because it can sound like, it can seem like we're being criticized. It can seem like we're being told that we're um, bad um, or again, that we're not, we're not getting the approval of others. Um, like rejection. Yeah. And it can feel like rejection. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting because also like, um, while uh, it's our society kind of sends us conflicting messages in a way, because, um, you know, it wants us to kind of get along and, you know, be polite to one another and all of that. But at the same time, like, there's a seems to be a very clear message of like don't give up until you get a yes right so like With, keep pushing keep persevering otherwise you're giving up and and that's a big part of a lot of subcultures um uh business culture um uh you know there's a lot of subcultures where that's very true and also just another thing though this is another part of uh the complication of it is that whose society because some cultures are much more emphasize getting along being part of your community your family uh don't rock the boat and other cultures are much more like the individual is everything be assertive um do your thing don't worry about others and um you know, then when you have people coming from different cultural backgrounds, again, there's a lot of room for misunderstanding and miscommunication. Um, and then if there's power differentials involved as, as well, it can lead to really serious, but seriously bad interactions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, the when you talk about saying no, it's really that you're it's it's kind of boundary work right it is boundary work one one thing that's really different with um this workshop that um we've put together is that we really emphasize hearing no graciously and that isn't done a lot of workshops emphasize on saying no assertively right be set your boundaries say no and also there's this assumption that you're going to always know where your boundary is in reality we're always finding out where our boundary is. They shift. 
they're not always in the same place. It can be different in a different time of the day. It can be different with different people. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's normal and that's natural. And part of what we need to practice is checking in and noticing our boundaries and noticing um, what we want. Um, and also we have to have some compassion because usually we'll figure out exactly where our boundary is right after someone has crossed it. Um, and we may not have seen that coming, right? Mm -hmm. So um, compassion all around because we've all grown up learning the wrong thing. And now there's a lot to unlearn and we have new skills to learn. But when it comes to hearing no graciously, like um, that's the other side of it. And honestly, if we only focus on saying no, it's kind of victim blamey. Um, there's a whole other side of the equation. And that's when someone says no, hear it. And also be aware that um, a lot of like just becoming aware that a lot of people maybe most people have a hard time saying no um or maybe that person doesn't feel as confident as you do maybe they maybe there's a power differential and you're not seeing it or um maybe they had trauma in their past and you don't know they might not even know but it's led to them having trouble expressing their boundaries so once we're aware of all these things um you know then that helps us to understand that we need to check in more we need to look for enthusiasm more we need to notice when um the enthusiasm isn't there and question that ask open-ended questions um don't just ask is this okay um can i do this ask questions like what do you want to do what would you like me to do um you know questions that involve a full answer mm. and um because that's a lot harder to give when you're having say a freeze response which is another thing that we talk about in the book um and if you're not enthusiastically into what you're doing you're maybe going to be able to say yeah okay or sure but you're not going to be able to say oh i want to do this or um, how about if you do that, you know? True. Um, just to go back to the the hearing no, mm. that that is so huge. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, ex I experienced that as a parent and I think a lot of parents do in the sense that it can be really confronting when our child says no to us. Right. Because we were raised, you know, with, the idea that we were not supposed to say no to our parents and so when uh when we're making space for dissent which is what i try to do with my children i still i still feel a little kind of like confronted when they actually do dissent or like at the very beginning when i started um homeschooling and and i would lay something out for my kids to do and they'd be like no thank you <laughs> uh, I don't even say thank you really they just be like nah I'd rather do this other thing and initially I was like oh gosh that's yeah. difficult but yes it's so important for the other side right to also happen like the other person or group of people to get used to hearing no and be okay with it and no it's not about them it's absolutely just kind of neutral it's not like a bad or a good thing 
And actually, what I would say is it's a good thing. And what we do is we teach people to thank people when they say no, or set boundaries, like especially around their physical autonomy. So I'm one thing I really encourage parents to do is, you know, if your child says something to you like, oh, I don't want you to touch my bum or, you know, uh, or something like that, then it'd be like, oh, thanks for letting me know. Um, you know, that's good when you know what you want and what you don't want. And it's good when you tell people or, you know, um, what I teach young people, I say, find a way to say thank you that feels good to you. Like maybe you want to say, oh, that's cool. I want to know what you like or oh, uh, you know, thanks for letting me know that you didn't want to do that or whatever it is that feels comfortable for them. But find a way to thank the person because it lets them know like, oh, I'm safe to express my boundaries with this person. And um, and actually you can have fun with it with the adults in your life because most people are not used to being thanked when they say no and it'll blow their minds. Um, but, and with young people, I would say, yeah, if you can try and model that. And also you can, as they get older, you can help them practice um, doing it. Like say they are nervous about asking someone on a date or something, you could help them practice hearing no and how to be cool about it, right? Which is definitely, not only are they letting the other person know they're a safe person to express their boundaries around, um, it is definitely much, more um cool or it's much more like um I mean it's definitely preferable to like running away crying <laughs> you know what I mean or just they're, or they're just being an awkward silence um it's definitely a good way to segue out of that yeah of like uh no this isn't happening mm -hmm. yeah and it's also like uh kind of learning to appreciate honesty Mm -hmm. rather than just someone who's like treading around you because they're uh you know or treading on eggshells because they're afraid to you know hurt your feelings or like just agreeing to something that they don't really want to do just to make you happy or whatever I mean I, I take honesty over that absolutely right and then that's the thing is it's a cultural shift again because what we're doing is we're putting the relationship uh, as a priority it's how um, maintaining a good relation with the other person is now more important than getting to do what you want or whatever it is right so yeah, yeah. and I think that I mean I that is just so crucial in in parenting for me and and really all relationships but uh, I apply it a lot to just my relationship with my children like I always remind myself that our relationship is more important than like me getting them to do this one thing that I've decided that they need to do right yeah um, and then for boundaries too I'd also like to say like in terms of physical autonomy that's like of course when you're not talking about physical autonomy you get into much more complex and nuanced territory where it might you might have to tell them to do something right and they might have to do it um as a parent like that's just happened that is part of it but when it comes to physical autonomy, I think that's where it's just really important to, um, you know, as safe, um, as safely as possible, as soon as possible. Like, obviously, when they're really little, you have to stop them if they're running into traffic or whatever it is. But um, to really give them that sense of that uh, they can say no about anything with their body and that when they do, that's a good thing. 
Um, so you do a lot of work, uh, you were saying, with um, in schools or with, with educators? I have, so far I've actually worked with educators more than students, um, but I do work with both. Um, but I do love teaching educators because then they can take the exercises. So what we do is we actually teach these skills, um, you know, like what to do when you're a maybe, how to check in with yourself to figure out if you're a yes or a no, how to notice what your boundaries are, how to hear no graciously, how to say no more confidently. Um, all those skills are taught in these exercises that are fun. And there's a lot of laughter and a lot of moving around. Um, there's only like one exercise where it really doesn't work unless you do a handshake or um, or a hug. And then, you know, of course, everyone always has the option to sit out anything. Um, and uh, so what I, I do love to teach the educators because then take those exercises and work them into their um, curriculum throughout the year, right? So because practice, 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 it's never, you're never just, oh, okay, now I've got it, it's done. Um, this is the kind of thing where, and for older people like me, I'll be unlearning and learning for the rest of my life. You know, maybe there's hope for younger people that they won't, it won't be as difficult. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, but like you said, it's, uh, it's, I like that you frame it as, as a practice and like skills that need practicing, right? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just like, you do it once and then you've understood it so you're good uh, yeah. there's a big leap from like understanding it understanding why it's important to actually going out into the world and doing it right and beyond understanding like once um they've done these once young people have done the exercises there's an embodied sense right once you've had someone thank you once for saying no you're going to notice the next time when someone's not honoring your no, mm. it's going to, you're going to notice on a more embodied level. Um, so yeah, that's the idea is to learn these skills on an embodied level in a safer space so that when they're later in a more, you know, high stakes environment or situation that they'll have better access to those skills and uh, tools. Um, I, I often wonder you know about teaching consent in schools because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of schools are um I mean by all means not all schools but many kind of conventional schools are rooted in a culture that is not consent based absolutely so I guess my question is like how do you how do you teach consent if you're not really practicing it right I mean I guess what I hope to do is create a, a container for a short period of time where a different way of doing things gets experienced mm. um and then you know hopefully it grows from there hopefully it's a seed um schools are changing I mean it's not fast enough for me but um a lot of schools here in Canada are starting to take on um, practices of restorative justice within the school and stuff and that's very consent-based and that is something that um, you know I feel is part of consent culture and um, restorative justice comes from 
um, indigenous traditions and uh, legal traditions and is much more about uh, restoring harmony to the community. And so so now when I go into schools in Canada, I'm, I find that, you know, the kids, they know what that means. They can explain the difference between just being punished or taking accountability and, you know, what, how, and which is a whole nother part of what we get into in the book as well as like um, taking accountability and apologizing meaningfully. Um, you know, most of us were taught you did something wrong, say you're sorry. And then you say, sorry, but you don't really mean it. And then it's over. And that's really not an apology, right? So um, really going through the stages of apology where you really think about the harm that was caused and um, acknowledge the harm that was caused and, um, you know, figure out what to do differently so it doesn't happen again and express all that. So, yeah. Um, and I guess there's also the side of the person receiving the apology, right? Like, if they want to mm. receive it, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, preface, if I feel like I really need to apologize to someone, I would start by saying, is it okay if I apologize to you? Because if they're not ready to hear an apology, then there's no point going there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had, and, and this is just, I'm just putting it all out there now, but um, I've had moments where I've apologized to my child and they've said, um, what's the point of apologizing if you keep doing it? <laughs> yeah, true enough. <laughs> true, good point. <laughs> so, you know, it can... I guess you know, sometimes we need to say it out loud a few times um to remember and like when we're really unlearning something it might be 20 times before we actually are like oh this is the thing I keep apologizing for and I have to stop doing it <laughs> before yeah. we do the thing you know and I mean there's like a there's a space where like you know you're human and so you you make mistakes and sometimes you make the same mistake more than once but then there's also uh, a place where maybe part of the apology should also be like figuring out how you're not or how at least you're gonna try not to make that same absolutely. mistake again right absolutely yeah. yeah so it's a lot more complex than just being like okay sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. figuring out how not to do that it again is definitely a big part of a meaningful yeah. apology yeah. for sure um, so you talk in your book about a dominant culture right? and how dominant culture is a culture of coercion. Yeah. And I found that really interesting. Uh, mm. when I read that, I was like, yes, um, you know, it was one of those moments that like really resonated with me. So would, do you want to talk a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, some people have asked like, why didn't you just talk about rape culture? Well, consent is about so much more than sex. And um, when you look at the culture overall, and when you're not just talking about sexual assault, we do live in a culture of coercion where it's normalized to not hear no, um, to 
to not honor other people's no, to push, to push, to try and get what we want, to have individual success, no matter what that costs and relationships. Um, and uh, um, to, or, you know, or for people to sacrifice their own well-being for, um, you know, someone else's success or there's like, uh, and it's also normalized that there are all these power differentials and systemic inequities and that it's just supposed, it's just how it is, you know? Um, so yeah, and um, we do drill down into that a bit in the book about how all the different ways that we've normalized coercion. Um, and that's why, that's what we were raised in. So that's why there's so much unlearning to do. Mm. Um, because it is, it's really in there. And I find like, um, you know, your own, your own mental, uh, constrictions can be your own worst enemy of what you've been raised to believe uh, is your place or what you know you can ask for or what yeah. you can say no to and that needs to be dismantled first mm. or dismantled as well so would you say that that's like a big part of creating that culture of consent is like looking at the power dynamics and the hierarchies that are kind of systemic and inherent in relationships and in communities and in society and kind of like at least becoming aware of them and Absolutely. working to kind of like you said dismantle them absolutely and i mean you know the patriarchy is is set up to i mean it's amazing that we ever have good interactions at all like the way it's set up you know it's crazy um and there's anthropologists have who have studied what they call rape-free cultures and that doesn't mean that sexual assault never happens in those cultures but it's much less prevalent and what's different in those cultures is that there's less division between the gen genders uh there's less um stereotypical ideas of how genders should behave um so there's less of a binary and then there's less stereotypes and there's less division of um you know that if you're seen as this gender you're supposed to do these things and if you're seen as this gender you're supposed to do those things so um a lot of that is a setup it's been constructed and it's a setup um to create division and it does. And so that's a lot. There's a lot to unlearn just in that that part of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's so, so many other kinds of systemic inequity. Right. And because there's so many of them, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Like the, the, I guess that's why creating that culture is important. Like a new culture where consent can, I think you say this, consent can flourish, right? I and it's going to keep bump, bumping up against all these um, power differentials and problems and um, systems. Um, but at the same time, it is, I think it is also very powerful when someone just experiences, even for an hour, this feeling of like, oh, I'm safe to ask for what I want. I'm safe to say no. And in fact, when I say no, people thank me. This feels really <laughs> 
great. And even when you just feel it for a little while, oh, it's okay to take time to check in with myself and notice what I want. Oh, and then you feel what that's like for a little while and it starts to build and it starts to grow. And then also too, when we can build this understanding of like, you know, how it's not, it might be harder for that person to say no than you. You need to really check in. Are they being enthusiastic? Like, how can you tell? Um, you know, just being aware of that, just being aware is a huge first step. And it's also really important for me to talk to people about the freeze response. Um, for me personally, I didn't know about the freeze response until I think it's like less than 10 years ago. And because um, I was always, I always heard fight or flight, fight or flight. But in fact, it's fight, flight, freeze, and probably fawn as well. Um, and those are... Uh, what's the word again, uh, autonomic reactions to your body feeling that you're in danger. So it happens when you go into a reaction like that, it happens in less than 15 milliseconds. So faster than I can snap my fingers, your blood flow changes, your prefrontal cortex starts to shut down, your amygdala takes over, mm -hmm. um, your memories get choppy because your brain is like, moving around what is in charge um and all of this happens like that and then when you're in a freeze response you just feel very stuck you feel like you can't say what you want to say you might be able to say a few words you might be able to say okay sure uh but you're not going to be able to say hey i want to do this yeah um you do, you can do automatic things. Like the last time I had a freeze response and I write about it in the book, I was driving and I kept driving on like automatic, you know, I was basically kind of like a zombie. And then when I got home, I had to lay down for a few hours before I could even make a phone call or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not always like that too. It's, but for most people, it will be like, you're just kind of stuck in your body. You can't really say what you want to say. You just feel and people will say, you know, I was frozen. I was frozen, but they still don't get that they were having a freeze response. Yeah. Um, and it is the most common response to sexual assault. And we're not really told about it because we're, we're, everybody talks about uh, fight or flight all the time. And it's really misunderstood. Even in the legal system, there are a lot of judges and lawyers that still don't understand about the freeze response. And you'll get them saying things like, well, why didn't you yell or why didn't you leave you know they don't get it and in fact they don't want to get it because um I read this book last year by Chessie Prout called I Have the Right To and she lays out her case then when she took her assailant to court and they brought um her lawyer brought an expert on the freeze response to testify and in front of the jury and the judge wouldn't allow it Oh, wow. so yeah so there's and you know most police don't know don't know about the freeze response it's just shocking it is shocking and it's terrible and the thing that is so important to me is because it, not understanding about the freeze response leads to a lot of victim blaming and shaming and I did it to myself when I didn't understand about the freeze response mm -hmm. I thought oh I must be a wimp I thought I always say I'm gonna fight back and then I don't like what What's wrong with me 
you know, and then because you didn't yell or you didn't fight or you didn't run away, you're, you're embarrassed to tell other people. And so we shut ourselves down first off. And then maybe we do tell someone and then if they say, well, why didn't you yell or why didn't you whatever, then you don't have an answer because you don't understand that you were having a freeze response. Yeah. yeah. So it leads to a lot of, a lot of um, victim blaming and shaming. And so it's really important to me for more people to understand about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think many of us have situations where we can relate to having done that, but didn't have the language to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I wanted to um, just talk briefly about the idea of changing your mind and how you um, you talk about that in the book. And I thought it was super interesting because um, as it applies to me in terms of like parenting and educating this, I people don't really talk about it. They don't really talk about how like it's OK for like our children to like say yes one minute and then change their mind. Right. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to your physical autonomy, it's so important for people to understand that you can always change your mind. I hear stories from young women all the time of like, but I said yes to this, so I guess I had to do that. And then I felt like it was too late to say no or, um, you know, or someone saying, well, they came home with me. So that means that they're saying yes to everything. And there was actually even a a law still on the books until not that long ago it was something like 12 years ago in North Carolina I think that said if someone initially is consented to sex that they did not they couldn't change their mind um and I mean it's so crazy um so what are you consenting to even and so because every that's another thing where uh, the whole communication thing like being very specific about what you're asking for what you're saying yes to like Oh, and in our society, because we're so uh, shameful about sex, most people have a hard time talking about it and talking about what they actually want. And so you're saying things like, let's hook up. And that can mean totally different things. And that's one of the exercises we do is talking about how the same word can mean different things to different people and um, how easy it is to have miscommunication. Uh, I think I kind of got off track though, but it's just to get back to like, the, there's so many things wrong with that, but you have to be able to always change your mind and consent is a thing given from moment to moment. Um, like I've also heard guys on, you know, kind of on the insult kind of things saying, well, you need to get a woman to sign a contract before you have sex with them to make sure you're safe. Well, that doesn't make any difference because you can change your mind. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um and so in practice it would be kind of like checking in keep checking yes. in with each other and I guess that's where the mutuality comes in as well right absolutely just keep checking, in. keep checking in for enthusiasm not just uh okay or sure that's not good enough you know someone saying sure that's not enthusiasm mm. so um yeah and uh and that's the thing where you know if you really care you want to check in and you want to make sure 
that everyone's having a good time. Um, and I mean, I think about this and, you know, just taking it to like, what is my everyday? Um, I think about it in terms of like, when I say to my kids, um, oh, how about doing this thing, this project mm. that, you know, and they're super excited about it. And like, we start doing it and then like kind of halfway in, you know, they're like, oh, go get a snack. And I can see that their enthusiasm is not quite there. Like yeah. this, there's this part of me that just wants to keep going with it, right? Mm -hmm. That's just like, but you know, we've committed to it. You said you want to do yeah. it, Let's just keep going. And then there's the other side of me that's like, yeah, they're clearly not enjoying it anymore. Yeah, like, I yeah. can see that. Maybe they're not telling me, maybe they don't even know yet that they're yeah. not enjoying it, but I sense it. And so it's okay to just drop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, clearly in cases where it's not about your physical autonomy, there's going to be times where, you know, it is very challenging for others or maybe not okay to change your mind. Like say you were in the middle of, taking care of a child you can't just suddenly change your mind and walk out the door and they obviously you're committed you have you have to commit to that um so yeah it's another one of those things where once you're not talking about physical autonomy it gets much more complex um but for physical autonomy I just want to make sure everyone's really clear that you can always change your mind no matter what you've never signed a contract hanging out with someone doesn't mean you have to kiss them. Kissing them doesn't mean you have to do anything else. And even if you've had sex with them five minutes ago, doesn't mean you should want to have sex with them now. Um, you can always change your mind. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, you would, in an ideal world, you wouldn't have to say that even, right? It should be yeah, obvious, no. but we, we really have these ideas um that I know when I was a teenager it was and I can't even remember how it was taught but somehow I knew that if I started kissing a boy that then then there was going to be more expected and then that if I didn't do the more whatever he expected that then that made me a bad person um yeah and there were all kinds of words for that so um and all kinds of crazy ideas about like yeah, that I would actually be doing physical damage to him or something, right? you know, so such crazy ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So another thing you were saying uh, that was interesting um, that I'd love for you to talk about is um, how to, how do we ask, like, once we know what we want, how do we? Well, and then ask there, that's a huge question there too. Like, and knowing like I know um so Marsha Baczynski my co-author her specialty is asking for what you want and actually she has a website askingforwhatyouwant.com she helps people get better at asking for what they want and she's got a hopefully going to have a book coming out about that soon too um she's now saying uh talking about noticing what you want rather than knowing what you want because mm -hmm. again it's a moment to moment thing and shifting and changing. And um, so noticing what we want and uh, checking in with ourselves, feeling what a yes feels like in our bodies, feeling what a no feels like in our bodies, getting better at noticing that more quickly. Um, you know, so many of us, 
and some more than others have learned to just tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. And we often don't know we're tolerating until it becomes unbearable. Um, and, and that leads to a lot of problems too, because you'll have a person who's really wanting you to be enjoying yourself and asking, and you're saying, okay, but what you're really doing is tolerating and you haven't noticed. And then, then when you blow up because it's become unbearable, they're like, what? You said it was okay. <laughs> um, that's a whole, like the whole, you know, delineation from willing to tolerating is a whole fascinating subject all on its own. Um, and something that leads to a lot of complicated interactions for sure. So asking for what you want for most people is hard. And there's a lot of reasons for that too. Um, for me, I know I knew how hard it was for me to say no. So I didn't want to ask other people and put them in that position in case they were a no. Um, you know, some people might, like some men might not want to be that guy. So they just don't ask. Um, there's a lot of different reasons, but a lot of people have a hard time asking for what they want. And um, many of us have a hard time noticing what we want even. And so that's an exercise we do as well, where we practice, practice noticing and asking for what we want. And um, I just recommend that to everyone. And you can, that can be a fun game to play with your kids. And it's how it goes. It's really simple. It's like, take a minute and you just keep asking them, what do you want? And then they can say anything. Uh, the only rule I have with that is not to do a sex or violence um, when I'm dealing with students. Um, they can ask for anything. They can say, oh, I really want to have something for lunch or, oh, I wish the universe was bigger. Um, it doesn't matter. And then you say, thank you. What do you want? And then they have to think of another thing they want. And then you say, thank you. What do you want? And they have to think of another thing they want. And um, I think it's just a good practice. Mm. Um, if you're with an intimate partner, you can go slower and get be softer and just really go deep, right? Um, with kids, you're probably just going to go fast and have fun with it. Because um, I mean, people say, oh, kids ask for what they want ask for what they want all the time. Well, but are they really asking for what they really want or are they asking for what they think they can get? Or are they asking for what they think they're supposed to want? Or, you know, maybe we can all explore that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a crucial distinction. I think you've made that. <laughs> and we all, that's an, we all do that. Mm -hmm. Or we even ask, we're like, hmm, is there any point? They're gonna say no. I what can I actually get? Maybe I'll ask for something I can actually get. There's another thing about that too, where um, can I say what I want without you feeling like it's pressure on you to give me that thing? Maybe I just want to express it, you know? Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. That's really important for sure. Um, thank you for that. Um, Okay, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you so much for coming on and bearing with me and my little teething issues. Oh um, no, I would love for you to uh, talk about where people can find you, uh, your projects, and thanks. 
Thanks. Yeah. So currently uh, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, um, but you can find me anywhere in the world uh, at creatingconsentculture.com. And um, uh, in the fall, I did an online course for people to become certified facilitators of this workshop. And uh, it went so great. And um, I've gotten lots of great feedback about it, about it. And I'm really excited to have more people out there doing the workshop. So I'm starting to put them on my website now where um, they're in different parts of the world and where you can find them. Um, and I'm having another course in the spring for the same thing. And I would love to have more people join. So come check it out. Um, it's all on my website. Uh, a lot of people who take the course are educators or sex educators or counselors or 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 lots of little different interesting backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to share that. And um, I hope you do come check out my website. Um, and I love to collaborate with people if at all possible. So if you have ideas, um, feel free to reach out to me. Okay, thank you, Erica. I'm going to put um, all those links in the notes to the episode Wonderful. so people can can access them. Wonderful, um, thanks. And it was so great to speak to you. Thank you so much again for uh, chatting to me. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. This is Fran. You can find me on Instagram at Big Mothering. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please share it and tag me um, or rate it on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you next time. Bye. Mm -hmm.